morning, everybody. Pastor Stefan, it's great to be with you. Sam, I always pictured you as more of a toad, the Mario and Luigi thing, but <laughs> um, we, forgot to, we forgot to offer um, the communion elements to anybody who didn't pick them up on the way in. Anybody who didn't pick them up, put your hand up, and Jude's going to, apparently it's just my family. Oh, some over here too. So Jude, you want to, everybody with their hand up, Jude's going to bring that around, do you? Um, in the meantime, we are going to read Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is a very precious psalm uh, for the people of God. Um, and it's actually, it's um, a, a pretty appropriate psalm for this community right now. Because um, it talks a lot about life and death. And we've, we've lost a handful of really precious people <laughs> around here lately. Um, and... Um, it seems like we might lose a few more soon, too. And um, so that's hard, but it's such a wonderful thing that we get to have something like Psalm 90 to listen to, to reflect on, and to stand upon. Um, so let's read it. Psalm 90 is titled, A Psalm of Moses, or A Prayer of Moses, which means that Moses either wrote this psalm or more likely Somebody wrote it about him, or somebody wrote it for him. So this is Psalm 90. Listen to God's word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortal. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away with the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but a trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is, that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of the Lord. So like I said, um, Psalm 90 is a prayer written either by Moses, or more likely about Moses, or for Moses. 
Um, and it fits him really well because if you know the story of Moses, uh, you know that he is a man who went through an incredible amount of change in his life. Moses was born as a slave in Egypt, about to be the victim of gentrification. I'm sorry, genocide, very different. About to be the victim of genocide. Um, and then, miraculously, um, God put him on the other side. And he became Egyptian royalty. Big change. And then a little bit later, figuring out that he looked more like his slaves than he did his own family, Moses figured out that he didn't really fit anywhere. And he had an identity crisis, and he ran away from everything, which included him committing a murder. After that, uh, one day the God of the entire universe tapped him on the shoulder and said, I have great plans for you. And then after that, he found himself living out his days, leading a very badly broken group of people through the wilderness. That's a lot of change. That's a lot of different things to do over the span of one lifetime. And that's really what I think Psalm 90 is about. I think Psalm 90 is about change. It's about how life can sometimes move so quickly that we lose track of time. It's about finding something to hold on to when all of life suddenly goes in an unexpected direction. And the psalmist is very eager that we would see the comparison between two very different things. Human beings, the psalmist says, human beings are like dust. We are blown around seemingly without consequence. Human beings are like grass. We shoot up in the morning, and then by the evening already, we're ready to wither. Whereas God, God is from everlasting to everlasting. With God, a thousand years is like a day. It's like the night. So the thing that the psalmist is trying to work out with us is that we as human beings, would somehow be able to see the world and to see our existence and to see our lives from the same perspective that God does? Is it possible for us as human beings to see ourselves and to see our existence the way that God sees those things? So there's uh, that famous line in verse 12 where the psalmist says, Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. We human beings have a really hard time numbering our days, don't we? Usually, uh, time is passing way too quickly or way too slowly for us to have a real sense of what's going on in our lives. But the psalmist is asking for the ability to be mindful enough, to be present enough, and to be intentional enough to know the value of our days as they're going by. You ever have this? Um, when people ask me how old I am, the most honest answer I could give is, I don't know. <laughs> like, I forget. I have a general idea, but then... You know, I don't want to sound like a jerk, so then I have to quick do the math. And I'm like, okay, it's 2021 minus 1982. Haven't had my birth yet. 38. I'm 38. 
That's how I answer that question. However, if you were to ask my seven-year-old that question, he would know the answer to that before the question was even out of your mouth. And in fact, today if you asked him that question, he would probably tell you that in exactly 13 days, he's going to be eight. Not, not 12, not 14, but in 13 days. So the difference between me and my seven-year-old is that he is much more aware of the passage of time at this exact moment. He is much more aware. He is much more mindful. He is much more alert to the passage of time. And I think that's pretty great. However, if he's anything like his father, and I'm afraid he is, um, this birthday is going to pass. And then a few more birthdays are going to pass. And then someday, Lord willing, he's going to be chasing around his own seven-year-old and he is totally going to lose track of how old he is because that's just very human, right? I have a friend who says, the years are short and the days are long. Isn't that just right? The years are short and the days are long. It's a very human perspective of time. But have you ever thought about God's perspective of time? Have you ever thought about God's perspective of time? Think about it. God is the creator of time. And so God lives outside of time. He exists outside of time. God looks at every single event in all of time the way that you and I would look at an apple. He sees the whole thing at once. The whole thing at once. Think about it this way. Imagine yourself as a newborn infant and as the person you are right now and as a very old person on the last day of your life. To you and to me, those are three very different versions of yourself separated by thousands and thousands of changes Thousands and thousands of changes over years and years. But God does not see us that way. God stands out of time. And he sees the whole thing at once. He sees all of our being all at once, including the changes that you and I have undergone and have yet to undergo. He sees all of those things at exactly the same time. You and I will undergo so many dramatic changes throughout our lifetimes. Our values will change. Our beliefs will change. Our priorities will change. Our politics will change. The culture in which we live will change. The way that we read the Bible will change. The nature of our faith, the nature of our relationship with God will change. And for us, life will always feel like it's flying down the road at 100 miles an hour, almost entirely out of control, taking blind corner after blind corner after blind corner, having no idea of what's ahead for us. It will always feel out of control as we change and as the people we love change and as the things that are in our way continue to change. You and I will always be shocked by the way that things change. 
We will always be shocked by the world that wraps itself around us. But God remains unsurprised by the developments in our lives. Isn't that fascinating? God remains unsurprised by the developments in our lives. God stands outside of time. To him, a thousand years, a day, it's all kind of the same. Everlasting to everlasting, it's the same way you and I view an apple in our hand. We see the whole thing at once. It's really quite interesting because you and I can be really hard on ourselves. There are things that we have done for which we can't seem to find a way to forgive ourselves. And if you're like me, you keep going back to those moments and back to that shame and back to those decisions and you feel it just washes over you all of that guilt, all of that regret, all of that shame, all of that grief and we can't find the self-compassion to move past it. But from God's perspective... There was never a time where he didn't know of that mistake. Isn't that interesting? There was never a time when he wasn't aware of that shameful, regrettable thing. And yet, he has loved us from the beginning. The first time he told us that he loved us, he already knew about that thing. This is why we do baptism the way that we do it around here. It's it's not like there is one right way to do baptism and we do baptism that way. There's a lot of different ways to do baptism and different ways of doing baptism emphasize different things. But the way that we choose to do baptism emphasizes for us that God's love for us is a pre-existing condition. God's love for us is a pre-existing condition. He marks us with his love before we can decide whether or not we like it. And if you're thinking that that sounds totally one-sided, exactly, exactly. That's exactly the point. It's totally unfair. It's totally unfair. God is saying, Little one, before you can form cogent thoughts in your mind, I will make a lifelong pronouncement about you. Before you can decide that you are unworthy of my love, I will lock in your worthiness to receive it. Every every baptism is an arm wrestling match between the eternal God and a squirming infant. And wouldn't you know it, God is undefeated. He wins every time. God insists that he will always win the love war. When Jesus was here with us on earth, he told us the very, very important story of the prodigal son. Uh, Hopefully you know the story. Look it up if you don't. Short version is this, this, this father, who represents God, has two sons, both of whom are 
knuckleheads <laughs> for various different reasons. They're knuckleheads. But the father's response to both of his knucklehead sons is, whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready, here I am. Come find me whenever you're ready. My love existed before your knuckleheadedness. My love anticipated your knuckleheadedness. And I know that this is not the life that you expected for yourself. I know this is not how you thought things would go. I know you weren't anticipating this change. But whenever you're ready, The father insists, even through all of this unanticipated change, plan A, no, plan B, didn't work, plan Z, we'll see. The father insists, even through all of this uh, unexpected change, I will win the love war. I'm undefeated. It's not fair. I used to think that because the Bible says that God doesn't change, that that meant that we weren't supposed to change. I, th- I think I used to think that. Um, maybe some of you can relate to this. In fact, I'm, I'm guessing most of you can relate to this. I grew up in a community that was very resistant to change. <laughs> Anybody else out there recovering from that? Okay. I grew up in a community that was very resistant to change, and I think part of that resistance was this often unspoken idea that, well, we kind of have everything figured out. Like, we're already doing things the right way. (laughs) Why would we do anything differently? Uh, We're already doing things the right way. We're already doing things the godly way. We're already living according to exactly what Scripture was asking of us. So why would we chance any kind of change? Now, there are a lot of flaws in in the reasoning, in that mindset, including the fact that the sanctification of God's people relies on change. Like, this whole book is begging you to change. The reason the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost was to enact change. The whole movement of the kingdom of God is about change. But also, let's not forget that the reason that God's unchangeability is so valuable for us is because he's anticipating that we do change. And that's okay. I mean, I wish it didn't happen so quickly, but I know that my seven-year-old will. And if he didn't, I'd be worried. We will change. Growth is change. Learning is change. Having cross-cultural experiences change. The world changes. Our culture changes. Politicians come and go. Social movements come and go. Pandemics, please God, come and go. The people that we love come and go. 
But the beauty of Psalm 90 is that God sees all of these changes from the same perspective that you and I view an apple in our own hands. And his posture will always be whenever you're ready. You knucklehead, whenever you're ready. My love existed before your knuckleheadedness. My love anticipated your knuckleheadedness. I know that this isn't the life that you thought you were going to get. I know that you're not on, I know you're not on plan A anymore. I know you're not on plan A anymore. But whenever you're ready, Psalm 90 is the prayer of Moses. A man who endured more change in his life than any of us ever will, I promise. And his prayer is that God would teach us to number our days. To number our days. To give us a sense of stability, not in what we do, but in the numberer of our days especially when things feel out of control. His prayer is that we would number our days to help us feel as grounded and as present as a seven-year-old counting down the days to his birthday. And to help us to latch on to God's love, which is a pre-existing condition. Pray with me. Father in heaven, our lives feel so totally out of control when we're honest. Uh, we try to put those little corners of our lives together to find that one, two, or three things in the world that we can control at least a little bit or give ourselves the illusion of control, and yet um, time marches on. Father, we will never correctly number our days. And even when we do the math in our heads, we'll never have a sense of exactly what's past and what's to come. But we take great comfort in the fact that you look at time the way that we look at an apple. You see the whole thing at once. Our very beginnings and our very endings. And your love for us anticipates the whole thing. So today, God, May we take a cue from our Lord Jesus and give in just a little bit to your invitation. Your love is a pre-existing condition and we know that you'll always be ready and waiting. Thank you for your faithfulness, God, in a world that just won't stop changing. Help us to be grounded in you even while we'll never have control ourselves. In Christ's name we pray.